welcome to the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, Season 2, Episode 12. I'm your host, Wes McAdams. Join me and my co-hosts, James Sumners and Sam Dominguez, as we discuss why the church is essential to the Christian life. The Crosstalk Podcast is not a sermon, a Bible class, or even a formal Bible study. It's simply a spiritual conversation among friends that we hope you'll find edifying and that will encourage you to have these types of spiritual conversations with people in your life. And now, let's jump right into that conversation. So often when we're talking about the church, we just, we, we hopefully take responsibility for ourselves and what we're supposed to be doing. Um, but in our evaluation, I think most times Christians just evaluate the congregation and it's either take it or leave it like that. You know, it's like, well, the church isn't, that congregation isn't what it's supposed to be. So I'll just leave or I'll just accept that, you know, accept that that is the reality rather than saying, you know, what can I do to Hebrews 10, 24? What can I do to spur them on to love and good deeds? What can I do to be a part of the solution rather than just accepting the problem? And, and we're, every congregation is going to be imperfect, but if we see that our congregation isn't what it ought to be, and we ought to be asking those questions, then we ought to be doing something to help edify the brethren to be what we ought to be. You know, I when we had our discussion about uh, uh, elders and uh, submission to elders and, and all, whatnot, I made a comment about how I've never <clears throat> felt like I really submitted to the elders. And I think a lot of it is this, this we, we talk about a lot of different things, and we when we think about, um, like maybe we think about, okay, how does God judge me? How is my relationship with God? We've talked about before that um, that in a certain to a certain degree, in my relationship with God, I can go directly to Jesus. I can go directly to God through Jesus. I don't. I don't have to go through somebody else. I don't need West to teach me the way to actually know the way. I can read it for myself. I can study it. I can pray. I've got a great high priest, but, and so we, we, we get to a, a place where we feel like we can individualize our faith so much that we don't really need uh, the church, that we don't, that, that the church is really just something helpful for me to be, to be able to encourage me to move on. And that's the only reason I really need to be a part of the church. It's not that, uh, there's not more than that. We, we kind of say, well, I don't really need the church because I have, I have Jesus. I don't really need the church because I, I can go direct, directly to God. I don't really need the elders because I've got Jesus. But that's that's not really what we see in the Bible. I think we try and, um, well, we, we mistakenly take our salvation, which is individual in the sense that no one can be saved for me and I have to take the appropriate actions uh, to become a part of Christ's body. But then we, we want to cling on to that uh, individualistic aspect of it rather than recognizing, no, I, I individually had to do what was necessary to get into the body, to become a part of Christ. But then after that, I am collectively in the body of Christ. And I am only uh, so much a part of the body individually as I am a part of the body collectively. You know, there, there isn't any lone wolf action going on. And when we, when we do that, when we take that attitude of being an individual in the body of Christ, it becomes very easy to uh, examine the corporate body separate from ourselves. 
you know, when we examine the condition of the church, you know, what would Jesus say to the church at wherever? We tend to think of it as a them question. What would he say to them? Mm-hmm. Not what we, he would say to us, with me included. Well, mm-hmm. because if he if I was included, it'd be all great, right? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> but what does he say to them? And that frees us up then to only quasi be a part of the body. And then when there's a problem, when there's an issue that arises, it's just that much easier to say, well, I'm going to go find a place that doesn't have this problem. And, you know, I think, I think there's, there's always a point at which it is better for you to leave or, more, or is necessary for you to uh, leave. But we, we find that point way too quickly. We, we, we go to that tactic way too soon, and we don't, we don't even really consider how much it, it is I who is contributing to the problem. And you know, to, to kind of step back to something y'all both kind of touched on earlier, I've been giving this a little bit of thought lately. When you think about the fact that the Bible really is about God and his people, it's not about God coming to save individual after individual after individual it's coming it's it's Jesus coming to create a new people out of all nations of mankind and re- to redeem them together both in their you know it's kind of like the children of Israel crossed the red sea there was a sense in which they crossed it individually but they more accurately crossed it collectively and there was a sense in which after getting across the red sea they were saved but there's also a very real sense that they weren't yet to the promised land, so they weren't yet saved. They were being saved. And when they got to the promised land, then they were saved from Egypt, from Egypt, from captivity. And so, you know, Scripture talks about our salvation in all three of those tenses, that we were saved, that we are being saved, and that we will be saved when he returns. Um, but but also how much Scripture talks about that collective body and and even our baptism isn't something that we can do alone. That That's something that is very interesting, that people always bring up these hypothetical qu- questions. You know, well, what if somebody's out in the middle of the desert and they don't have any water? Well, number one, I don't base my religion and my practice and my doctrine on hypothetical situations, but on God's Word. Number two, that's not the only question. The question isn't just what what does he do without any water? The other question would be what does he do without the church? What does he do without other Christians to teach him the gospel and to baptize him into Christ? Because that's Jesus' plan. His plan isn't just that I go and baptize myself. His plan is that I am baptized by someone. And so there is this necessity of discipling people, of actual human being teaching another human being, and then that person being baptized by a human being into Christ Jesus, that it is the faith is something that is passed on one to another. It's not something that can ever be at any stage of it individual, except like you said, Sam, except in the sense that I individually have to decide I will follow Jesus, but I can't I can't come to him initially, nor can I walk with him as an individual. It must be as a part of the body of Christ. Yeah. Just thinking about the body and and being a part of that, and that just in my head, um, I'm I'm a very visual person, so I'm I'm imagining. Just imagine like uh, if Jesus is the head, he's the body. He's he's essentially he, he, the church is his body, right? And and it, when we come out of the world, it's almost like we're transplanted. We're like a transplanted um, part of the body, and we're added to 
to the body. And now we're, we're there for that purpose. We're there to be part of that, but we can't anyway, but we're there for a purpose. We're there to help the body. We're, we're there to be a part of the body. We're not just moved over so that we can like stick out the side of it's like, you don't, you don't take a lung and you like plug it into the outside of the body. And so it's like independently over here flapping. It's not a decoration. It's, it's not a decoration. Well, I mean, I mean, a, a, the way to really uh, make an example of that is when you go into the hospital and they can control a lot of your bodily functions externally, and then it's like, well, as soon as that person's dead, unplug them, wheel them out of the room, plug in the next person, and we we kind of want our function in the church to be that way. At any given point, we can just unplug and and hook up to something else, you know. But I mean, the real analogy is in the scripture where it talks about being grafted in, mm-hmm. you know. It's, it, once those those two branches, once those vines have been combined, to separate them again would be to rend that thing apart. It, it doesn't survive the experience, you know. Once once you've grafted that plant together, it stays together. Mm-hmm. It has become one. And instead, we like to think of ourselves as a garden. Each of us planted by ourselves, and and you know the garden is the church. And like, no, we are grafted into a a single plant, a mm-hmm. single body, and it is a painful and rending and ripping experience when we just step away from that. When we say, "Well, forget you guys. I'm going to you know pull out." And we we fail to recognize the pain and the grief that should be associated with that. But when we don't think of ourselves as a part of that collective body, if we don't consider ourselves as, as having been grafted in or, or to be transplanted into another life, then, it, yeah, it, it remains real easy to say, well, this, this congregation has this particular problem and I don't want to be a part of the solution. I don't want to deal with it, so I'm just going to go somewhere else. And I... Oh, I'm sorry, James. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say back to your, what you were originally talking about and the, the idea of examining <clears throat> the church um, from the thinking about how would God see uh, the church? How, what would he say about us if he was writing a letter to us like he does in uh, Revelations? Um, what would he write about us? But then, I mean, again, taking it beyond that, and how how is it that I'm, um, like, if, if he were in that letter to say something specifically about me, like what am I doing? Am I, am I building up the church within that? Is, is, is what he would say about me um, within that? Am I, am I there building up the church or am I, am I uh, uh, like a disease that uh, causing problems in the church? And, and not, not again, not making it about me, but like again about the church, what would he say about the church? And in that, is there something that he would say about how I'm impacting the growth uh, of that of the church itself? See, and that's that's kind of what I was going to say too. That that's been one thing as I've been reading through and thinking about these seven churches in Asia in Revelation two and three. That um, it's amazing how Jesus often points out that sometimes even in the worst congregations, you know, today we talked about Sardis, and and he says you're a dead church. But then he says, but there are those among you, there are a few among you that haven't soiled your garments. So it's really interesting to me that Jesus very much, you know, sees us as a collective body, but yet he he knows us as individuals and he doesn't hold me accountable for 
the collective sin of the body if I'm not participating in that. If I am holding out, being faithful to Jesus, and saying, no, this is wrong, and we ought to do things this way and not that way, this is what the Bible says, then Jesus sees that, appreciates that, and I'm on his team. And and I don't have to worry about guilt by association with Jesus. And what an amazing thought that is. You know, it, so often we are so quick to look at a congregation uh, look at a group of people and to say, well, they're not worshiping right, or they have bad doctrine there, or they whatever, and they're all lost. And we, we just make these sweeping generalizations where we might be right that some of the things they're doing there is wrong and they need to be admonished, but we don't know the individuals. Jesus does, and he knows the faithful that are still there. We have congregations in this city that that we, we tend to be very dismissive of uh, entirely when I know for a fact there are Christians there that are still faithful and true and doing their very best to put those congregations back on the right track. And and so often, we don't have a biblical understanding of that. We think, well, if you're in that congregation, you're you're just as bad as the rest of them. You ought to leave. And that's not what we see in Scripture. We just have a tendency to write people off by mm-hmm. making assumptions about them and not giving them the grace that we desire from them ourselves. It's really difficult to... Uh, simultaneously hold on to all of the truths about uh, God and his church and his people. Um, but I think that's that's one of those realizations that we can have as we grow mature that it's not that these things are necessarily contradictory, you know, that he views us collectively but also individually and, and all this kind of stuff, but it, it's rather that it takes very deliberate uh, focus uh, on a daily basis, you know, to to understand that I am a part of this collective body, but that God in his justice does not view us collectively in that regard, but that he expects me to collectively edify these people. Mm-hmm. You know, he it, it's just another one of those circumstances where, where God wants our good to be passed on collectively, but he does not hold us responsible collectively. You know, it's it's an aspect of God's good nature and his justice that he he brings to us. But it's it's easy to try and come up with answers that are just like, well, we are the collective body and thus, and start making a bunch of incorrect assumptions or decisions based on that, or to say, but God sees us individually and thus, and make all of our rationale based on that, rather than recognizing, no, both of these circumstances are true, and depending on what's going on, we need to give careful deliberation uh, to, to every action that we take. It's it's just it's another reason why every day you wake up and you determine to focus on God anew that day. Mm-hmm. You know, don't worry about your obedience tomorrow. You know, seed the soil for your obedience tomorrow through your obedience today. You know, it's one of those things that I have been thinking about a lot lately, how, how God admonishes us not to worry about tomorrow. Uh, you know, but then how do we plan ahead and how do we, you know, be good stewards and yada, yada, yada. But it's, it's, it's simply a matter of you do today what can be done today, which includes some preparation for tomorrow, but you don't take your time today trying to take care of your obedience for the next three weeks. No, you be obedient today. You do the best that you can do today, mm-hmm. and you build upon that every day. And that also allows you to, uh, like you were talking about in your lesson this morning, understand that Jesus cares more about what I'm doing than what I've done. Mm-hmm. That allows us simultaneously to not 
be held back by our previous failures and our sins and allow that to drag us down, but also not to rest on our laurels and to say, well, I've been good, and so thus I am good. No, it's today. Get up and be good today. Mm -hmm. Be obedient today. And just keep your focus right here, right now. And that lets you balance a good understanding of all of these things that are true about God and his people. It's And we, we miss so much when we misunderstand that that pistis, the Greek word for faith, is the Greek word for faithfulness. And and so often we we try to separate those ideas. I heard a, a I was reading a book where a guy was trying to explain the difference between faith and faithfulness while simultaneously explaining that it's the same Greek word. And it's like, well, then doesn't that explain the fact that there really is no difference biblically? That having faith is being faithful. That's what it is to have faith, is to be faithful. And you can't be faithful tomorrow. You have to be faithful today. Um, it's not, uh, well, I, I plan on doing that tomorrow. It's like, no, no, no. You do what you're supposed to do today. It's not about yesterday. It's not about tomorrow. It's about today. What are you doing today um, for you to be faithful? And and that includes being our brother's keeper to a certain extent. That includes my care for my brethren. That includes me doing Whatever good I have the opportunity opportunity to do, especially to those of the household of faith, understanding that we're family, I have an allegiance to you, I have an obligation to you, regardless of what you do and how you act, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do in response to how you act or uh, just just because uh, out of graciousness or whatever the, the case may be. As the opportunity arises, I'm going to do good to you, to my neighbor, to my enemy, to my friend, uh, to whomever. And... Uh, and that's what it is to be faithful, is to, I'm going to walk like Jesus today, and that includes my responsibility to my brethren. But when we say, listen, you're not acting right, so I'm just going to walk away from you because I, I'm, I'm scared that God is going to throw a lightning bolt down and he's going to accidentally hit me. You know, it's like, you don't understand God and you don't understand your obligation to your brethren. You know, and again, we, we think of, so many times when we think of um, what it means to be a part of the church— what are we really thinking about? So many times we're thinking about four hours at the most during a week when mm-hmm. we're coming together to worship as if that's the work of the church, as if that's like, if that's the thing that we really do. Um, you imagine four hours out of your week of 160 some odd hours in your week, though, you know, a large portion of that, take a third out for sleeping if you sleep that much. Yeah, but but still, there's a, that's, that's hardly any of the time that we are living what is God most, I mean, worship, yes, we need to worship, but on Monday, I'm not worshiping God collectively with the, the church. I, I'm i working, I'm living, I'm doing things, and still, I need to be an encouragement to my brothers. I need to be an example for my brothers. I still need to be able to do that. We still need to start every day thinking, how can I praise God? How can I glorify God? How can I build up the church each and every day? We were, last week, we were watching our our wedding video, which was uh, uh, enjoyable. Always, anyway. At, at the end of watching our wedding video, my children immediately want to go listen to Star Wars music, and there's a reason for that. Because, but anyway, we won't get into that. <laughs> um, so, but but anyway, um, we were after after that. The next day, my my son says, "Daddy, you and mommy aren't married anymore. You you have to get married today," and we. Uh, she said, well, we are married. But it's like, no, you're not married. You have to get married again today. So 
you say, well, if we, you know, if we kiss and, and uh, say our I do's again, is that, will that work? And he says, yes. And, and in a sense, that's kind of how we need to think as Christians and, and, and just thinking in our wedding, in our marriage, we've started to kind of actually do that. Just thinking about it. It's like, I'm going to start off every day saying, you know, I choose today to love you the best of my ability. I need to do the same thing with Christ. Am I the bride of Christ? Yes. So what am I going to do when I wake up in the morning? I need to say, God, I love you. And I want to do everything today that I can to please you. Uh, and please help me to, to please you. Help me understand what I need to be doing today. Because <clears throat> today I'm going to love you with all of my heart, with all of my life, with all of my work, with everything that I do. I want to build up your church. I want to build uh, I want to build myself up to be more like you, to, to help you, to do what it is you want me to do. And really, you know, we're we're living out our baptism every day, or else mm-hmm. we ought to be. You know, you look mm-hmm. at Romans six, and it, that about being dying to self and being united with Jesus and and walking in the new life. I mean, it really ought to be. Baptism is a one-time thing in a sense, but in another sense, it is like our marriage. It it is something we must renew and live live with that in mind every day of our life. We live out our baptism twenty four seven, or else we ought to. Well, I mean, once again, you know, the examples in the scripture, the metaphors in the scripture are the best for, you know, all, all of the marriage metaphors and, and understanding that when you're married, you become one flesh. And when we become a part of Christ's body, we all become a part of his flesh, you know, and we're his bride, uh, but we become one. And we, we can recognize in our marriages that any corruption that we bring into ourselves individually, we are bringing into our marriage. You know, whether your wife is there, if you go out in your daily walk and do something that is corrupting to your mind, to your soul, to your spirit, you are going to bring that corruption right back into your marriage and you're going to make it a part of your wife. And we bring destruction into our marriages through all of that kind of thing because we we think that, well, if I am away from my wife, I can behave once again as though I'm an individual as though we're not going to bring that stuff back. And, of course, the opposite is true. The edification that we provide for ourselves, that we give to each other, we bring back into our marriage. And so we we have to recognize that even though we're not a part of a corporate worship service every single day, whatever uh, we do during our time is either going to be edifying uh, or provide the foundation for edification to Christ's body, or we are going to be allowing corruption into ourselves that we then bring back and make a part of the body. You know, if we allow ourselves to behave in ways that our fellow members would find offensive or be disruptive to their life or be a stumbling block, and we think, well, they're not here, so I'll just give myself a pass, that's the first step you've taken to being a hypocrite. And to then living a different life and putting on Christ like a suit of clothes, and as soon as you go home, you take it back off. You can't tell me that's not going to be corrupting, and instead of being edifying, it's going to tear down the church if you allow yourself to have that attitude. And so we we have to remember that even when we leave this, if not especially when we leave these places, we have to live as a part of that body, though we we may be separated. The other day, Larry had that lesson that he did on Wednesday, which is very much what we've been talking about. And the beauty of that, it just the idea of being a part of the body. Who is the body really? What The body is associated with the head, is it not? I mean, you can't separate the head. 
mean, we talked about Goliath recently. What happens to Goliath when his head's removed from his body? He's dead. If you yeah, he was dead already. He but, was, yeah. well, <laughs> but he's Sorry. really dead. I mean, he's there's nothing there's he's nothing to move. Now. He's extra dead. There's no doubt about so, it. So yeah. anyway, the, my point is, is Jesus is the head. He's the body. Like if you talk about, you talk about the head. You don't remove the head from the body. If G, if if we are the body, we are part of Jesus. We are we are not just in marriage one with Jesus, but we are almost like physically as part of the body. We are Jesus. Um, and, and, and in a sense, if you say something about Jesus, you're saying something about the church. If you say something about the church, you're saying something about Jesus. You cannot separate the two, and we cannot separate ourselves. I mean, if I talk about my right hand, yes, my right hand performs specific functions, but it's part of the body. The left hand um, is, is also part of the body. My, my right and left hand are not any more important, but their functions are different. We are together a part of Christ, and we cannot separate any of that. We cannot devaluate, devalue any part of the body because the body is Christ. Any part of the body, the, the right hand, the left hand, the, the, the foot, the, the pinky toe, anyway, we're all part of the body, and, and we must recognize that every single part of us is, is significant, useful, and meant to be part of the functional body of Christ. And I think I think that that's one reason why, and I don't want to open a can of worms because we're almost out of time, but um, I think that's why when we talk about the Holy Spirit sealing us, living within us, dwelling within us, there is a sense, I believe, that that's true individually, but I think it's mostly true collectively because while Jesus was on the earth and living in the physical body, his his fleshly self combined with his spirit made him Jesus, made him who he was. And we collectively are the physical body of Christ today, and his spirit dwells within us collectively. And and so while 1 Corinthians 6, absolutely, there is a sense in which individually that's true, and, and our sin brings reproach upon the entire body, but we've got to realize that the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit lives within us collectively, and it's only as we grow closer to one another and closer to uh, who we're supposed to be, that ideal that we see in Scripture, that we fully realize the power that the Spirit gives us and the uh, the wonderful blessings that are involved in being a part of the church. If we would recognize in each other the body of Christ, a whole lot of our congregational, personal, people issues would go away. You know, if we would recognize the truth that Paul saw when he was blinded on the road, and he said, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. But what was Paul doing? You know, he was persecuting the church. He was persecuting the people. And that was persecution against Christ himself. And if we then could sit back and realize this behavior that I bring into the church, this attitude that I bring, this this way that I treat my fellow man is how I'm treating Christ. A big thanks to my co-host and to Cameron McElyay for his help in the production of this show. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating and review on iTunes so others can be encouraged as well. As always, we want you to know that we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.